morning, everyone. Um, we are uh, starting a new series, as Gabby said. We've been in the book of Mark for some time, and we're going to take a small break in the book of Mark for a Lent series. We began Lent at Ash Wednesday service, which was on Wednesday in this room. It's packed house, uh, favorite, one of the favorite nights uh, services that we do all year for me personally. Um, and um, it's actually one of the most embodied physical services we do because you show up with your body and then you show up, you come to the front and we put ashes on your forehead and we pronounce over you that you were from dust and you will go back to dust. You are mortal, you will die. And uh, it's really important every, every time, this, year, this time in the church calendar, it reminds us that we, we are flesh and that we're mortal. And what we do in the 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter is we, we fast to, to carry in our bodies the sufferings of Jesus. Like we remind ourselves with our bodies that Christ suffered for us um, in his passion. And so we do that. Now, if you're fasting uh, during this 40 days of Lent, I don't know if you know this, but historically, Sundays are feast days, not fast days. So if you came here going, oh man, I wish I would have had that thing that I'm fasting, today you get to do that. I don't know if you know that or not. But uh, might be the best news you've heard all week. So Sundays are, are feast days. This is on it. I'm not I'm lying to you. You're like suspicious. You're like, no, 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 you're not going to get me. No, honestly, this is how it works. Um, you fast, and then on Sundays, you feast. And then after Easter, you just keep feasting. Um, that's how it works in the church calendar. So, um, so we're done. That's it. That's why you came to church. Now, a little preamble uh, for today. We start a, a, a series on the body. And I want to let you know, like, kind of my perspective. I am a Christian pastor that teaches the way of Jesus. That's what, that's who I am. That's what I do. And today I'm going to start a series on the body, and I'll be teaching from this perspective of the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus. Now, I will use some sociology. I, use, I will use history. I'll use, um, I'll use philosophy. But um, mainly what will always land is what does the scriptures teach? What does the scriptures have to say? That's kind of what um, I do. So... Um, if you, and I'll do my best. Again, I won't be perfect, and um, there'll probably be questions, and I'm around for questions, but that's what I'm trying to do. So if you've come in here going, I wonder what perspective this person's gonna have when talking about the body, especially in a, a fairly contentious spot like San Francisco when it comes to the subject, what is he gonna say? Um, I'm gonna try my best to say what, what the scriptures teach, um, historically in the church and um, what the scriptures teach. So. That's my little preamble. So I like to uh, start with the meditation. So let's get into our bodies, meaning sometimes we just bring our, our minds or we bring our spirits into church and we just forget about our bodies. But let's be in our bodies now. If you put both of your feet on the ground, um, so there's no tension kind of held up in your body through a cross leg or something, both feet on the ground, open your hands up on uh, a posture of just being open to God. Um, close your eyes if you could and take a few breaths as we sang um, that God is the breath in our lungs. And that's quite literal. Take a few deep breaths. I want you to think about being human and what it means to be human. The fragility of being human. Maybe there's a part of your body right now that hurts the preciousness of it, the joy, the smells, the feels, the pleasures, the pain. 
Every single one of us in this room were babies at one time. Think about the journey you take from birth to death. From dust you came till dust you shall return. Think about your body. The body is where all of this happens. In your body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Lord, as we ponder this passage of Scripture this morning, as we think about and live into our bodies, I pray, Lord, that there'd be lies that would be kind of broken off in Jesus' name. There's ways that things get trapped in our bodies, quite literally, that we're told socially we have to act a certain way or do a certain thing. And I pray, God, that things that get trapped in our bodies would be just be broken free of, that you'd bring freedom in our church through this series. And starting today, I pray, I submit my capacities to you, Lord. I pray that, Jesus, that you would have your will here and that Satan would not have his will here. And I pray all this in the, in the beautiful and strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our bodies are so much work. Think about how much of our lives is taken up with the care and the maintenance of our bodies. We have to clean them and feed them and relieve them and then rest them and then wake up the next day to do it all over again. Sometimes when I have a very, very full day from meeting to meeting and email to email and this to that, to stop to eat or to stop to pee is just frustrating. Like, I don't have that time to take care of you, body. I don't wanna take care of you, I have things to do. And that's only when our body is working smoothly. A few times a year, my back goes out and everything, my whole life stops. Last year I had, um, I tore my meniscus and it was undiagnosed. Well, I tried to get diagnosed, but um, the doctors at you know, Kaiser said, you need to rub some dirt on it, it should be fine. <laughs> And that's literally almost what they said. I'm like, no, I think there's something wrong. I'm like, no, no you're, gonna, you're gonna be fine. But I had blew apart my meniscus. And uh, anyway, so I went to Hawaii. We were supposed to feel amazing. And I was, my knee was hurting really, really bad. And I'm, and I'm like kind of limping on it and walking like this and trying to hold Junie. And then my back goes out. And then I take uh, anti-inflammatories and my stomach starts hurting. And then I get depressed. Like, it's just all connected. Like, when that happens, everything starts to swirl out of control. Now, if you deal with chronic pain, you have a whole different reality when we talk about our bodies. Bodies are a lot of work. The needs of our body are relentless. Not only are are our bodies a lot of work, but there are some in tech and AI specifically that say that the body is obsolete. The logic goes that many people today don't really use their bodies anymore in the real world. We use cars and planes for transporting our brains around. lay our bodies down to watch TV, we sit in front of our laptop to work, they say that most of our life is lived in our mind, in the consciousness, and that our bodies were designed to do stuff, but we don't really do that much stuff with our bodies anymore. I mean, we take them to the gym to work them out, but we don't really need them for anything. It's our minds where everything happens, our consciousness. And for many in the world where your your body either breaks down too soon or it doesn't work like it's supposed to, the question is, can we just get rid of it? Can we escape our bodies through our technology? And then there's the ways that we talk about our bodies. This past week, I was watching something where Nick Jonas, don't ask, 
where Nick Jonas was describing uh, a men's facial mask. Again, don't ask. And he said it was good for both men and women. And then he said, use it, your body will thank you. Think about this phrase. Use it, your body will thank you. Your body will thank you. We talk about this all the time. The question is, what is the you that your body is not that will thank your body? What is the you that the body isn't that will thank you? Is it your soul that will thank your body? Is it your psyche, your consciousness, your spirit that will thank your body? Or maybe it's just you. The you that is not your body will say to your body that you presumably possess or own or rent. Thank you, body, for doing that. I guess the real question is, are you your body? Can we get rid of our body and still be us? And I imagine in a room this size, there are several, maybe many, people in here who are thinking, please don't tell me that I am my body. And there are all sorts of reasons for this, all very real and very relevant. See, the good and beautiful things that we experience in this life are experienced in our body. This is true from the smell of garlic simmering and olive oil, thanks be to God, (laughs) or the warm sun on your face as you sip rosé in Napa Valley, or the sensation of riding your first wave in Hawaii, or holding a newborn baby, a sleeping newborn baby. (laughs) The best of life is experienced through the body. But what is equally true and sometimes more overwhelmingly true is that some of the most harmful things in this life are also experienced through our bodies. From a young age, we are hurt, abandoned, made fun of, bullied, and abused, and the trauma gets trapped in our bodies. As the famous book says, the body keeps the score. And on top of that, many of the isms of oppression are against the body. Racism, sexism, ageism, ableism. With all of this, you can see why so many of us would rather not identify the self with our bodies. And our language betrays us too. We say things like, I hate my body. But we don't really ever say things like, I hate my soul, or I hate my consciousness. Because many of us don't believe we are our bodies. We believe our bodies are something that we possess, like a car or a phone. And because our bodies are something we possess, the cultural narrative goes, we can do anything we want with our bodies as long as it doesn't harm another person. Former lesbian atheist turned Catholic writer, Melinda Selmy says this, and I've quoted this before, but I think this this quote is so important. Beneath all the pageantry of the free sex and love narrative, there is a fundamental belief that the body doesn't mean anything. That is, that, is insigni- that it is insignificant in a literal sense, signifying nothing. Our bodies don't signify anything. You can do anything you like with it. You can pleasure it with a vacuum cleaner or get a drunken stranger in an alleyway to whip it and you can give it away to anyone for any reason. It's just sort of a, a wet machine a tool that you can use in exchange for whatever purposes suit your fancy. In order to believe this, you must either accept, A, that your body is not you, it is just a shell or a juicy robot, that the real you, the disembodied ghost, controls, or B, 
that there is no such thing as human value or dignity. It's like, it's just a nice pretense that we make up because we are terrified of this senseless and nihilistic universe. Now, how do we get to this place in popular culture where we believe, we believe all these things about our bodies? Like most things, we have philosophy and religion to thank for this. So there is a Christian heresy that has been around since the beginning of the church, and there's a secular fallacy that has been made more popular over, over the centuries. I'll start with the Christian heresy on how we got here. Technically, this Christian heresy is called Gnosticism, which was a heresy, a false teaching in the early church, taught that matter, that physicality, stuff of matter, was evil and the spirit was good. And that the soul and the body, and the body and the spirit were two distinct things. Now, if you read the writings of Paul, especially um, uh, to the church in Colossians, or if you read the writings of 1 John, they go after this heresy specifically. They taught at this time in the church that the body and the spirit were distinct, which is very tempting to believe. This is a very tempting uh, heresy to believe because God is spirit and God is holy. It's very enticing to believe in a spirituality in the sense that the spirit has certain priority over matter since God himself is pure spirit. So it's very tempting to believe like, yeah, the spirit is good, the body, I mean, God is spirit. He dwells in, 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 in unapproachable light. He's spirit and we're flesh and we're like earthy and all this other stuff. And isn't it important to like be in the spirit and the body, leave it behind? Now, Gnosticism was condemned as a heresy in the early church, but it doesn't mean that it didn't deeply influence the Christian worldview for thousands of years. Let me give you an example of Gnostic belief that has probably crept into your thinking as a believer today. Most Christians believe this. They believe that we need to escape this world to find salvation in heaven where our true hope is. The goal of the Christian life is to leave this body and be with God forever in heaven. And this world and our bodies are passing away and it's the spirit that really matters. That teaching, some form of that teaching, almost every single Christian believes that. And that teaching is Gnostic theology and it's wrong. Now we'll unpack why this teaching is false in the weeks to come, but let me just say this. Heaven, you will have a body, not just a body, but your body. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it was his body. They didn't recognize him at first because they thought he was dead. There's no way this could be him. But when their eyes were open, they saw it was him. It was him who was eating, walking around. It was Jesus. And Jesus still has a body today. It ascended to heaven. And when God, when Christ makes the earth new, he will take this earth united to heaven and it will be a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. This is why there's a very famous quote of Martin Luther. If the world was gonna end tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, I would plant a tree. Why? Because I know that things I do in this life will carry over to the next life. This theology that we just need to escape this world in our bodies and we can ruin this world and ruin our bodies is Gnostic and it's wrong. Now, these false beliefs about the body in favor of the spirit has led inside the church to ignoring the body in favor of the disembodied spirit floating in the sky spirituality. This also allows all the isms done against the body to incubate inside of the church, like racism and sexism, because the church's job is the spiritual stuff, not the body stuff, the spiritual stuff. 
This also keeps the church happy not to do things like social justice since that's physical body stuff. We're concerned with the spiritual stuff. Let other people worry about the physical stuff. We'll do the spiritual stuff. Heresy. That's the, that's the, that's the um, Christian heresy. Now let's talk about the secular fallacy, how this gets into our culture. We can trace this back to Plato and then later Descartes and later Darwin. Plato and Descartes taught, that, taught and influenced a popular line of thinking that went something like this. The soul and, and the mind are distinct from the body. Plato taught, thought and taught that the body was evil and was a prison for the soul. And the job was to escape this body. The soul needs to escape the body, which actually got into church through Gnosticism. Later, Descartes came up with this very famous maxim, I know you know it, I think, therefore, I am. Meaning, the definition of being human, the definition of being I am, the definition of being who I am is a thinking, rational, logical incapacity. It's not found in my body, it's not found in being a human, it's found in my mind. I think, therefore, I am. How do I know I'm real? Well, I think. It has nothing to do with the body, it has everything to do with the mind. Later. Darwin's work removed the telos from nature and humanity, where before people thought that God or the gods created humanity, and therefore, depending on your religion or, the, or your philosophy, these gods put a specific a telos or purpose in the humanity or in the world. And what Darwin did in his work is removed that, meaning that the purpose of our being wasn't designed and placed into us by God or the gods, but it's totally random and beautiful accident. Nature was not the handiwork of God, and therefore the purposes that God placed into nature were no longer useful for moral truth. We could not find how to have, a, how to have morality by looking to God. Philosopher Charles Taylor explains the effects of Darwin's theory by saying this, quote, the cosmos is no longer seen as the embodiment of meaningful order which can define the good for us. Meaning we can't look to the created cosmos that God made to find meaningful order because there is no God and we're just a beautiful accident. And what all this means, of course, is that the human body doesn't reveal God's will. Nature doesn't reveal God's, God's will. Bodies in nature are now believed to be morally neutral where humans may impose their own will upon them. This has led to things like personal personhood theory, personhood theory that separates the person from the body. The person is the real thing, which has moral and legal standing, but the body is an expendable biological organism. This has also led to a very common belief that I am not my body. I am not my body. Now these two errors, the Christian heresy and secular fallacy, have combined in very potent ways to form two common views of the body. Two views that we carry in ourselves right now, even as followers of Jesus. The two common views of the body go like this. The rejection of the body, body is something to escape, or the obsession with the body, the body is something to conquer. Now, the rejection of the body is kind of what I explain. It's, it's really embodied in the, in the Gnostic heresy and the, the fallacy that um, you are what you think, because you think you are, that detaches, that bifurcates the body and the, and the mind or the body and the spirit, the body and the consciousness, that removes the body from who we are, 
It means the rejection of the body. Some, in, the, in the Christian world, some do escape. I just need to escape this body, this, this wretched body. I'm going to escape it and go to heaven. What, what do you think is going to be there in heaven for you? Just, I don't know, maybe floating like an angel. Like, I might get wings. I might just be up there with God just worshiping. What's going to be worshiping? My spirit. No body? Jesus has a body, but you don't have a body? Like, how does that work? What about the resurrection of the body? What about the resurrection of the dead? Why do we bury people facing Jerusalem where Jesus is going to come back? Why do we do that? Do you think the body is going to be resurrected? Like this is, this is deeply, deeply, deeply theological that we believe that our bodies mean something. Now, we reject the body, but the other thing we do is obsess over the body. Because this is where you might be a bit confused. You might be sitting there with your bodies thinking, who devalues the body? Don't we place a crazy high value on how we look and smell and our physique? Are we obsessed with diets and exercise and bodybuilding and cosmetics and cosmetic surgery and Botox? Aren't we obsessed with looking young? Yes, but this actually reveals a dualism. Philosophers call this the instrumentalizing of the body, meaning treating the body as a tool to be used and controlled. We see our body as a tool that we use and control. The body is an object to be conquered. So I will diet it, and I will make it strong, and I will do this and that to it. I will conquer my body. Feminist philosopher Susan Brodo says that about this concept, the training, the toning, the slimming, and the sculpting of the body encourage an adversarial relationship with the body. The body needs to be something that's fought and like defeated or fixed or something. The desire is to be liberated from the constraints of the body that the body places on us. Now, I have to say this right here because I think this is a really, really important point. The body, this, this narrative that we live in, by the way, this, is, this, has been the, this has been the narrative since Greek culture. The body is something to be beautified and conquered, and we celebrate. So we just literally just had the Olympics. We celebrate the conquered body. The people who can conquer their body and make it do things that are almost superhuman, we go, oh my gosh, that is amazing. That is the hero here. The people that conquer their bodies are the heroes. But what this does for a lot of people is creates a double bind, a trap. For people whose bodies that are outside what society deems normal or ideal, we quickly learn that it's our body that makes us other. Because we live in a world that celebrates the conquered body, there are people who can never conquer the fact that they are not young enough, or wide enough, or thin enough, or able enough, or straight enough, or muscular enough, or attractive enough. Which leads to body hatred. Research about, the body, uh, research about body dissatisfaction and body hatred shows us that the majority of us, up to 90% of those in Western culture, loathe our bodies. 90% loathe our bodies. That's both men and women. This has led researchers to characterize the Western relationship with the body as normative discontent. How do you feel about your body? Mm, normative discontent. We might not even think there's another way to relate to our bodies individually or culturally than to simply be discontent with it or dissatisfied with our bodies. 
Which means the love yourself narratives that we've been shoving down each other's throat in the last 15 years don't really work. They're not working. No matter how many influencers say it is, even they don't believe it. It's not working. Now the real problem with all this depressing information is how we see ourselves is actually central to what it means to be human. To lose embodiment, which is really what's going on, we're losing embodiment. We're losing being a whole person and our body being part of that. We're losing that. To lose embodiment is to lose the fundamental building blocks of human thriving. We cannot thrive as humans without without complete embodiment, complete integration with our bodies. The connection that we share with ourselves, integration is key to this, the connection we share with others, and most importantly, the connection that we share with God, at the core of that is how we view our bodies, which is why this is the topic of our generation. So what do we do? How do we begin to put all this back together? Now, I'll say a couple pastoral things here because of time, and we'll use the next several weeks leading up to Easter to unpack this more fully. I don't feel like I need to jump into cold theology right now. I don't think that would be that helpful for our congregation. So I wanna say a couple pastoral things, and we'll use the rest of our series to unpack more about the body. But I, I wanna say, start, I wanna start with Satan. I want us to awaken. I use the word awaken. I was going to use the word realize, but realize has to do with the mind. Awaken has to do with the whole body. I want whole body awaken to the reality that distorting of the good is Satan's playbook. This is what Satan has been doing since the beginning, distorting the good. Look at this text on the screen. Genesis 1.27. Keep that up there for this next bit. I'm not going to read it. I, want you to, I just want you to look at it. Read it. God created you, you as a body, as a whole person. And he said it was very good. Your body is good. Now, Satan doesn't create, by the way. He's created being. He doesn't create. He does not have his own clay. God has clay, he creates the dust, he pulls the dust out of the ground, he fashions it, and he blows into it the breath of life. Satan doesn't have his own clay. He's like, I don't have clay, I don't make clay. What, is, what does Satan do then? What is he left to do? He's, he's left to distort and use the material that God created to distort it. Now, question, why would Satan want to distort and twist our bodies and the way we view and believe and live into our bodies? Why would Satan want to do that? Since the very beginning, the temptation had to do with the body. Could you trust God for nourishment? He tempts Eve and Adam, if you read the story, they're both there, with a fruit, something you eat, you see, you taste, you smell, it's good, you eat it. Do you trust God for your nourishment or not? Physicality, why does he do this? The first effects of the fall is that they're shamed, bodily shame. They're like, cover up. Like, oh my gosh, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? What, what, what is, I don't know, I'm just, I need to hide myself. Physical, all of it's physical. Why? Why would Satan go after the body? Why does Satan continue to go after the body? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Look at the first line in Genesis 127. 
God created mankind in his own image. You know why Satan goes after the body? Because God is spirit and he doesn't have physical form until he created us. He created us in his image. Our bodies together as male and female reflect the beauty and the glory of God. We are the images of God walking around. We're carrying in us the spark of life in our bodies. Our bodies, your body is incredible. Your body shows the glory of God. Not only that, Inside of our bodies, the way that God fashioned and created our bodies, he created our bodies to house the divine. He created our bodies for the potential of it becoming the place where heaven and earth meet. Colossians 1, 24, 27. This was last week's text, but I'll reread it again. Paul says, now he's talking about the body. He's talking about his physical body. Then he's gonna talk about the church's, the body of Christ. Uh, us, our body is making a Christ body, which is the interplay on the word body, which is br- brilliant, and he's gonna get to something else about the body. So this is a, a body text, okay? We start, need to start reading that. Like most of, a lot of the scriptures are talking about our bodies. So he says, I rejoice that I'm suffering for you in the body. He's suffering. The, and, I, and, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. There's more suffering that Christ is gonna do through my body. For the sake of his body, see what he did there? I mean, he's, this is like, Classic, amazing hip-hop, right? I mean, this uses like double entendre. He takes words and wordplay. This is what Paul, I think Paul is the first gangster rapper, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> He's like, I'm, 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 this is happening in my body because of what Christ's body is still doing. It's, Christ's body is still suffering because I'm still suffering. I'm doing it for the sake of you, his body. God gave me this, God gave me this to present to you the word of God in its fullness. What is the word of God? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. So what Paul here is talking about is that there is something woven into our bodies that has been kept hidden, a mystery that's been kept hidden since the beginning, but has now been revealed after Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the Holy Spirit coming. There's something that happened in that flow of time that has revealed a, a, a mystery that has been ha- kept hidden for ages. He goes, I do ministry and I suffer in my body for the sake of Christ's body so I can make this mystery known to you. What is this mystery? To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the riches of this mystery. Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is kind of a big deal. What Paul is saying is that the mystery is that God created our bodies to house God. Now, in temple, this is, this is Paul was, a, was, a, was an observant Jew. I mean, he spent his life protecting the temple and its codes and its meaning and all of Judaism because the sacredness of the temple and the glory of God. And he's saying now, because of Jesus, that's all reoriented and we are now the temple of the living God. We, we become temples of God. Paul says this in another way when he's writing to the church in Corinthians. He says, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you've received from God? Now, let's get back to this question. Why is there an all-out assault on your bodies in philosophy, in false teachings, in church history, and in the culture? Why is the body the central place where there's so much attack happening from all sides? 
It's because you were created in the image of God and our bodies were made to house the living God and God can potentially, for those who are saved, God can live in you. This is why your body is the hot spot of contention. This is why this is the issue of our time. So for those who grew up in the church who were taught to look at your bodies with shame, that too was a twisted lie from Satan, the deceiver. The teachings of scripture do not demonize the body, they divinize the body. The teachings of scripture saying you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just read all the codes of how you had to behave in the temple. How holy and sacred every single thing was. How you had to wash before you went into the temple because it housed the holy God. That God lives in you now if you're a Christian. See, whenever the New Testament speaks of our bodies being used for good, it always appeals to the reality that God himself or Christ himself or the Holy Spirit or God's glory dwells in us. This is how it appeals to sexual purity. Why become sexually pure because sex is gross and all this other stuff and it's taboo? No, 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 because you, you house the living God. This is how it appeals to remaining faithful in our weak body, when our body is frail and weak and we we're, we're like buffeted by temptation and we want to give in and give up. And the reason why we keep showing up and we keep being, remaining faithful to God in our weak body is because God's glory shines through our weakness. There's a, a part of our body that's like an earthen vessel. It's a pot of clay and it's broken and there's shards everywhere, but the glory of God is housed in it and the cracks is how the light gets out. That's how it works. This is how it appeals to our everyday ordinary life, being worshiped to God, how we take our brushing of our teeth and the washing of our hair and the changing of diapers and the making of meals and the sweeping of floors. We take all that and we bring it before God because we are a living temple. Now, more proof that the body is good, I don't think I need more proof, but I'll give you one more. God took up a body in Jesus. That's how you know the body is good because Jesus himself took up a body. Not only did Jesus himself take up a body, but if you believe that the body is a prison for the soul and you need to be released from your body to go to heaven, Jesus had that happen when he died on the cross and his body was separated from his spirit. You would think, he won, but then he went back into a body. You're like, wait, what's up with that? You escaped the body. Why are you going back into the body? Because the body is the future. The renewed body is a future. And then Jesus ascended to heaven with a body. He didn't leave his body here on the, in the ground and ascend, his spirit ascended to heaven. He physically went up to heaven as a body. And he will bring every single person. My, my daughter says every single day that she cannot wait till her nana is raised from the dead. When we're like, what do you want to pray for? She says, I want to pray that I have superpowers, which is a legit prayer. <laughs> and she prays that Jesus raised nana's body from the dead. That will happen. That is the hope. Not just the spirit of my mom, but my, the physicality of my mom. Now, the next thing I'll say, and this is where I'll, I'll start to close, our body is a temple, and the temple is in ruins. For a host of reasons, our body, which was created in the image of God and has the potential to house the divine, is in ruins. It's because of the fall, as we read. It's in ruins because of the way we treat it, it's in ruins because of the way we think about it and believe about it and talk about it. It's in ruins because of the way that we treat other bodies. And we can feel 
that our body's in ruins because of the way someone else treated our body. For all these reasons, our temple bodies lay in ruin. And yet, as I read the way of Jesus, I can't help but be struck by how many bodies Jesus healed. When he began his ministry, he immediately started healing bodies that turned into healing souls, which is to say he healed the whole person. I think of the paralytic man who was lowered through the roof. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. Whole person healed. I think of the woman caught in adultery about to face her own death on trial, and Jesus, all he has to do is allow it to happen, which was well within the law at that time. Jesus doesn't condemn the woman, but turns to the crowd and condemns them, and he saves the woman's body and says to the woman, go and sin no more, or another translation reads, you're free to live a different life now. Whole person healed. I think of this story in John 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why is he like this? Why was he, did, was it his parents that sinned, what he sinned? What was going on that he's like this? I don't know if you've ever asked the question, why am I like this? Questions that we carry in our bodies all the time. It's a question that this blind man carried in his body. Why am I like this? Why am I not taller or shorter or skinnier or thicker or bigger this or smaller that? Why doesn't my body work like that, look like that, feel like that? What did I do to deserve this? It's a question about the body that we've all asked. So Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is saying, no, no, it doesn't work like that. This is not karma. This is not like you do this and then that happens. That's not how, how this works. It just passed down from this and that's what, this, and it's not karma that's working out here. We live in a world where the effects of the first sin does trickle down and we live in a disintegrated world right now where people are born in all sorts of different ways that we might think living in the world that we live in are less than ideal because we have an ideal that we, we think is ideal. But Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not it. N.T. Wright comments on this passage brilliantly. He says, no, something much stranger at once more mysterious and more hopeful is going on. The chaos and the misery of this present world is, it seems, the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. And T. Wright said, no, no, it's not karma. What Jesus is saying is, no, no, what? this man is blind. This is the raw material out of which I'm making new creation from. So what does Jesus do next? Well, in a very Genesis 2-7 kind of way, he bends down and picks up dust. That's, that's how the Bible began, by the way. Picks up dust, dirt, from the ground. He does something a little different, too. He spits in it and makes mud, but what, I mean, I don't, he added some stuff to it, but it's fine. He's Jesus, he can do that. He's like, dust, you guys, you guys know what I'm doing here? Look at, I mean, dust, get it, dust. And then he takes it and he spits in it, he makes mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And the man's healed. See, new creation is happening 
with the raw material of the old creation. Jesus takes the old creation. He takes the fallenness, the the ruins of our temple, and this is the raw material that Jesus is using to bring about integrated whole stuff. Jesus Jesus has taken the broken stuff, the disintegrated stuff, the ruins, and restoring them. This is what Jesus is after, what he's doing in our bodies, restoration. This is what Jesus is doing. John says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan comes to steal things and to kill things and destroy things. And what Jesus does is he brings back stolen goods. He resurrects dead places and restores destruction. This is the work of Jesus. And not just in our minds and our souls as if we can just have a mind and soul, but no, in our whole bodies. There are ways that trauma gets trapped in our bodies. There are ways things get stuck in our bodies. And we think, we carry around our bodies thinking that we need to be fixed I just need to fix my body. If it was just like this, then I can be truly happy. And we carry this kind of narrative, or maybe our parents instilled that narrative in us. If you just look like this or was like this, whatever, then you would be accepted. And we have a whole culture that rewards this. But Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm not restoring you back to what Western society deems as a whole person. I'm restoring you to what I, I believe is a whole person. And this is what, this is what Jesus wants to do. And things are gonna get... Weird and awesome, I believe, in our church over this series. There are ways that I feel, especially in the pandemic, we've just showed up with our, shown up with our minds. We're just like, Zoom, mind, face, sometimes face, sometimes not face. Just depends. But showing up with the whole body, yes. Getting restoration done in our body, getting like free to where we can dance before God, we can, we can kneel before God, we can open our, like God, I, we, we want restoration, we want healing to happen in our whole person, our whole selves. For some of us, especially who work on computers and code and whatever, like we're in our heads all the time, all the time. And this is we think that life is lived out in our heads. It's the, it's the whole body. And this is what Jesus wants to redeem. So would you stand with me as we pray? During response time, we've done this since day one of our church, is that we're asking, we ask people to come forward and take a physical posture of kneeling on the carpets or to come forward and receive communion, which is what we, physically what we do to remember Jesus. Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and he takes his, the wine and he pours it out and he says, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. How do I remember Jesus' body? Through a meal. Not through like closing our eyes and going, mm, thank you God, but by like t- taking something and eating it. Christianity is very earthy, very physical, very embodied. And so we're gonna ask you to come forward to receive communion. We're gonna ask you to come forward um, and, and receive prayer. Theologian Stanley Harawas argues that to truly learn a story, we, ha- we can't just hear it, we, al- we also have to act it out. In our worship, we act out the story of the gospel with our whole bodies. When we come forward to kneel, I wanna invite you to do that. Kneeling is praying. We don't just close our eyes to pray. Kneeling, moving our bodies in, an a-, in a posture of prayer of humble submission to God 
is prayer. So come forward and kneel. To come forward and to confess that I need prayer, that resonated with me, that this is what God's doing in me, is, is a form of prayer. Coming forward to receive communion is a form of reenacting the story. And so we're gonna do that now. We're gonna, we're gonna worship and sing with our voices and come forward for prayer and all these things. Lord, right now, as we begin to move and, and as we begin to respond to your spirit, we pray, God, that we'd be fully present in our bodies and that you would begin to bring restoration. Maybe you've done a restorative work in the way that we, way that we like, accepted you into our, into our lives and our hearts, maybe we thought, but Lord, we pray for a whole body restoration that we can, be, we can fully show up to this world in meaningful ways. Make us alive, Lord. Make us free. Please, Jesus.